Hi, this is Sean with the General Neurology Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Cranial Nerve. Uh, this is Series 1, Episode 4. Uh, in the previous podcast, I covered the trigeminal nerve and talked about the anatomy examination and some of the conditions associated with trigeminal palsy. Uh, in this particular podcast, I'm going to be covering the facial nerve, talking about the anatomy uh, examination and also conditions associated with facial nerve palsy. The seventh cranial nerve is called the facial nerve and it has motor, sensory and autonomic components and a tortuous course from pons to extracranial innervation of the facial muscles, lacrimal and salivary gland and visceral and somatic sensory territories. The majority of the upper motor neuron cortical barbell fibers decussate in the pons but the upper third of the face is set traditionally to receive bilateral cortical innervation resulting in sparing of the brow and frontalis muscle with supranuclear lesion such as after the stroke. This is quite a complex pathway but the bottom line is that the upper part of the face probably received relatively little direct cortical innervation. Separate supranuclear anatomical pathway subserve voluntary and emotional facial movement. As a result these movements may be dissociated Thus, emotional movements such as smiling, which are separate from the internal capsule pathway, may be preserved when voluntary movement are affected following a stroke. Interestingly, the right cerebral hemisphere is dominant for expression of facial emotion. The seventh motor nucleus lies in the lower pons. The fascicle of efferent motor fibers travel backwards before sweeping around in a U-turn around the sixth nerve nucleus to emerge anteriorly from the lower border of the pons. The nervous intermediate is the indistinct sensory and autonomic component of the facial nerve that joins the motor fibers just after the internal genu. After leaving the pons, the facial nerve traverses the cerebral pontine angle before entering the internal auditory meatus of the temporal bone with the nervous intermediate and eighth nerve. The facial nerve emerges from the skull via the stylomastoid foramen. After traversing the parotid gland, the nerve divides into several branches that innervate the facial muscles, with the exception of the levator palpebrae superioris supplied by the third nerve. This really explains why facial palsy does not cause ptosis, but instead widens the palpebral fissure. Now let's talk about examination. The facial asymmetry should be inspected, particularly forehead creases and nasal labial fold. And you should particularly remember that uh, a small proportion of the normal population have some degree of facial asymmetry. So you shouldn't be alarmed by that. Facial myokemia, synkinesis or hemitrophy may be observed on careful inspection at rest and during facial movements. When assessing the power, Test frontalis, which is when you ask the patient to elevate their eyebrows, as well as eye closure. You really need to encourage the patient to close their eyes. You can ask, tell them, imagine that you've got soap in your eye, close your eyes as tight as you can. You, should, you shouldn't really be able to see uh, the eyelashes if, if someone's able to uh, fully close their eyes. Uh, the lip closure can be also tested, and it's really important to check the emotional uh, facial movements such as uh, smiling. Platysma is tested by asking the patient to uh, bare the teeth and open the mouth at the same time. 
asking the patient to blow out their cheeks and whistle are also useful, uh, particularly for patients with facial weakness um, and Bell's phenomenon is also assessed. Patients with Bell's phenomenon, it's really important to protect the eyes from exposure keratopathy. So they are usually, um, I mean, they should be really um, prescribed some ointments for the eyes and to protect the eye. And also uh, sometimes it's useful to tape the eye. But again, uh, you've got to be very careful how to tape the eye. So you get you need to get advice from the uh, neuroophthalmology team, which are experts in guiding um, clinician how to tape the eye usually is done horizontally and to avoid uh, any exposure of the tape uh, to the cornea. Sometimes sadly I've seen a very badly done um, taping of the eye so it's really important to uh, make sure that you have proper guidance of following uh, the protocol of your the trust that you work in um, and make sure when the eye is taped um, there's no contact of the tape and the cornea itself because it can make things even worse. Upper motor neuron lesions produce relative sparing of the frontalis and orbicularis oculi muscle because of the bilateral innervation. Voluntary and emotional movement may be affected differentially. Now, the unilateral upper motor neuron facial weakness is often less evident to patient, even to relatives, uh, compared to lower motor neuron weakness. The four primary tastes, sweet, salt, sour, and bitter, can be tested using sugar, salt vinegar, and quinine dabbed separately in the tongue, breathing in the mouth each time. Um, and in cases of facial weakness, it's important to examine uh, uh, the tongue itself, um, uh, look at the oral cavity, um, and also inspect the external auditory meatus for any vesicles indicating zoster, or for evidence of nasopharyngeal carcinoma or fissured tongue. Uh, the protest should also be palpated for any evidence of masses like tumours, infection or inflammation, uh, autoscopic examination of the external auditory canal and tympanic membrane should also be performed to look for any evidence of infection or cholesteatoma. Interestingly, I have seen a patient with Ramsey-Hunt syndrome where she developed uh, a low motor neuron facial palsy um, and some hearing loss, uh, which wasn't very evident. But the main thing was that um, she had vesicles inside the ear canal rather than around the uh, auditory meatus. So always look inside the ear canals as well. And there are a couple of red flags that you should be aware of. If you see anyone with, with clinically Bell's palsy, uh, you need to look for any hearing abnormalities or any vestibular kind of uh, problem any pains associated uh, with that as well and whether your patient is systemically well or unwell um, any history of cancer in the past or prior uh, tick bite or potential Lyme disease exposure so again it's important to ask about uh, any recent travels um, always ask them uh, relevant things if they live in the UK you know do you have you gone to for camping uh, if they're in London have you gone to Richmond Park for example and the other thing is important to ask is um, have they had any rashes anywhere and you also need to examine the internal and external uh, auditory meatus for any physicals or any rashes now let's talk about Bell's palsy in more detail Bell's palsy is an acute peripheral facial palsy 
a large retrospective study of almost 2,500 cases uh, presented to the UK GPs showed an incident of 20 per 100,000 per year. Bell's palsy may occur in childhood. The incidence increases steadily with age. There is no change in incidence with season, latitude or geography, and there is no evidence of familial clustering. Uh, weak association may exist with diabetes and hypertension. A viral etiology has been postulated on the basis that decompression of the nerve in the acute phase usually reveals swelling of the facial nerve proximal to the geniculate ganglia, a finding confirmed by MRI, and detection of herpes simplex virus type 1 DNA in the endoneuronal fluid in most patients. Uh, both primary HSV-1 infection and reactivation of latent infection have been implicated. Uh, microvascular ischemic uh, mononeuropathies of the facial nerve may also be causal in older patients. Uh, Bell's palsy has also been reported after immunization, so Bell's palsy should no longer be considered idiopathic. So now we're going to talk about the clinical features of uh, Bell's palsy. The clinical picture is stereotyped and familiar to most clinicians. Rapid onset of facial weakness progressing over 48 hours and occasionally up to 5 days is preceded or accompanied by diffuse virtual auricular pain in the region of the mastoid. In some patients, the mastoid pain may be severe or even persist for a week or longer. A uh, patient may complain of uh, facial weakness or asymmetry with drooling of liquid from the corner of the mouth on the affected side and essentially these patients might end up uh, to hospital as a stroke call um, and sometimes uh, can be you know, diagnosed clinically uh, by the primary care physicians. When you inspect the face, you're looking for any palpable fissure, which is usually widened uh, on the affected side with Bell's palsy. Uh, the eye closure and blinking are reduced or absent, so you get a visible Bell's phenomenon. Um, and you could also have ectropion formation leading to overflow of tears on the, on the cheek. The angle of the mouth droops with reduction of the nasal labial fold, smoothing of the skin wrinkles, and also the platysma muscle is involved. Now, an important thing to remember is that if you've got a patient uh, with a mild, painless, progressive, and or patchy facial weakness developing over several weeks, um, then that is a red flag for you. Essentially, it means that you need to look for any other underlying causes because it's quite unusual uh, for Bell's palsy to present like that. The other thing that patients sometimes uh, report is some sort of vague changes uh, in sensation of the affected side, uh, which is again common with Bell's palsy, um, and the corneal reflex may also be preserved. Again, in majority of cases, when you do a corneal reflex, it should be absent in, in Bell's palsy, and it does help you to differentiate between lower motor neuron and upper motor neuron lesion, but that's not always the case. So it's good practice to do it, but it doesn't rule out Bell's palsy essentially. Now, some patients also uh, complain of loss of taste. Uh, they describe it as a muddy or metallic taste. Um, sometimes patients may uh, complain of uh, hearing things because of the hyperacusis uh, due to the paralysis of the st uh, stapedius muscle um, and which again indicates that the cord of tympani and the branch of uh, stapedius is uh, involved respectively. Now the other causes of acute facial paralysis should also be considered when you get 
you know, certain red flags. For example, if you see someone with a facial palsy and, and uh, vesicles around the external or internal auditory meatus, or even, uh, you know, you need to think about other conditions such as Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which is caused by the varicella zoster reactivation in the uh, genicleic ganglion, which is diagnosed by careful inspection, um, you know, of the external and internal uh, auditory meatus as well as, you know, inspecting the palate for physicals uh, in these small somatic sensory territories of the facial nerve. Uh, bear in mind that the physicals may be absent in some patients, um, and other symptoms, you know, are common in, in Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, including tinnitus, hearing loss, nystagmus. Again, it indicates involvement of the uh, eighth, uh, you know, cranial nerve eight, um, and occasional involvement of other cranial nerves such as uh, cranial nerve 9 and 10. Um, again, you should always uh, examine the ear for any evidence of local pathology uh, such as cholesteatoma uh, or even malignant otitis externa. Um, always palpate the parotid area for parotid tumors. Um, and um, I've mentioned previously about Lyme disease. It's an, again, it's another possibility, actually counters a quarter of cases of facial palsy in endemic areas. Um, another important thing to remember is the acute seventh nerve lesion are sometimes seen HIV seroconversion. Uh, a skull-based tumor such as breast cancer metastases can also cause isolated seventh nerve lesion, um, sometimes with post-auricular pain. So there's a wide variety of differentials to, to consider. Um, but again, you need to uh, look at the clinical picture, uh, see, you know, based on the social history, but, you know, it, it's really, really important to, to take a very comprehensive history with this patient to make sure that you're not missing anything. Now, in terms of investigation, um, you know, it's not typically required for typical cases of uh, Bell's palsy. Um, again, MRI may show contrast enhancement of the distal, intracunicular, and labyrinthine portion of the facial nerve. Uh, again, imaging is not routinely indicated unless a brainstem or other uh, cause is suspected. Uh, a gradual onset of facial weakness over weeks um, with the presence of other neurological sign or failure to recover within six months, again, is a red flag, uh, which means that you need to uh, do further investigation, including imaging. Um, again, in areas of high HIV prevalence, uh, acute facial weakness is more common uh, in HIV seroconversion than the, than the typical Bell's palsy seen in largely HIV negative population. And also in areas of high Lyme disease prevalence, uh, it's important to test for Borrelia serology. Now, in terms of lumbar puncture, CSF examination is not really indicated for Bell's palsy because the CSF uh, constituents are typically normal. Neurophysiological stimulation of the facial nerve with measurement of the facial compound motor action potential, which is 3 to 20 days um, after the onset, may identify those with severe valerian degeneration of the nerve, um, corresponding to poor prognosis for recovery again. In practice, this is rarely required. Lastly, let's talk about the management and the outcome of uh, Bell's palsy. So in Bell's palsy, you can either get a complete or almost complete recovery within uh, you know, three to eight weeks. Uh, in about 85% of cases without 
any treatment whatsoever. And what's really important with this patient to reassure them about the good prognosis and the absence of uh, recurrence is important. As previously mentioned, because of the Bell's phenomenon or this extensive facial weakness, it can lead to exposure keratitis. So an early evaluation should include assessment of the eye by ophthalmologist. Um, so typically they are prescribed lubricating eye drops. Um, usually ointments works better because it lubricates the area for longer periods um, and sometimes it works as effective as taping the eye. But what's really important is for the patient to be educated about how to tape the eye at night because if it's done badly it can do more harm. And in severe facial weakness with complete inability to close the eyes uh, such patients need to be seen urgently for ophthalmological assessment. Now in terms of pharmacological treatment uh, such as steroid and antiviral agent uh, it remained contentious, um, however, this is now near standard practice uh, with Bell's palsy. So some studies indicate a better outcome with steroid, but a rigorous analysis as part of a Cochrane review concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support the use of steroid. Nevertheless, many clinicians nowadays choose a, to treat the patient with oral prednisolone, typically uh, one milligram per kilo for seven days if they present within a week of onset. Now, the evidence to support the use of antiviral agent is even more limited. One randomized trial showed a better outcome with an acyclovir prednisolone combination than prednisolone alone. Uh, again, another found no advantage for either acyclovir alone or in combination with prednisolone, and recommended that acyclovir should not be used in most clinical situations. However, treatment with an acyclovir steroid combination could be justified on the basis that uh, HSV reactivation may be a frequent cause of Bell's palsy, such as in some cases of uh, Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. Therefore, treatment-wise, about 80% of UK patients with Bell's palsy are actually managed by the primary care uh, GPs, and most do not require any medical treatment. Now, for the minority of patients left with severe facial weakness after a year, reconstructive facial surgery can also be helpful. And again, you could have a very minority of patients with Bell's palsy uh, that have recurrent um, Bell's palsy phenomenon and about, you know, less than 5% of cases. Um, and again, that should really, you know, guide you towards other differentials such as sarcoidosis. However, if a recurrent facial palsy occurs without any evidence of other pathology, Bell's palsy is the likely answer. Having said that, you could have a rare triad of intermittent seventh nerve uh, palsy with persistent and recurrent lip or facial swelling um, and a fissured tongue, uh, which uh, is characteristic for melkerson rothenstahl syndrome, uh, which causes facial uh, paralysis, very typical to Bell's palsy. However, it has a higher tendency to recur and may be bilateral. Uh, these features are again diagnostic clinically. Um, you can do a lip biopsy to look for any non-caseating granulomas um, and the lip swelling is sometimes treated with uh, local steroid injection. However, the etiology behind this condition is not well understood. Now let's talk about bilateral facial weakness in more detail. Uh, bilateral facial weakness is, is again is rare. It accounts for about you know, less than 1% of cases of facial palsy and is much more likely to be a, a manifestation of a systemic disease uh, than a unilateral palsy isolated uh, or recurrent. 
paradoxically, again, these patients with bilateral facial weakness are often slower to present with those compared to uh, obvious facial asymmetry. In one large case series, bilateral Bell's palsy was the most common cause of bilateral facial palsy. Infective diseases such as bilateral mastoiditis um, and diphtheria have been, you know, uh, replaced by HIV uh, seroconversion, um, EBV infection, and Lyme disease as a cause of bilateral facial weakness. Uh, Lyme disease facial palsy is bilateral in about one quarter of cases and may be associated with facial rash and CSF pleocytosis. Bilateral facial weakness may be a presenting feature of sarcoidosis. Uh, other causes include trauma with a skull base fracture, pontine glioma, tumors including you know, bone metastases, leukemic deposit within the skull base, and malignant meningitis. Again, these tend to cause gradually evolving facial weakness. Uh, in addition, bilateral facial weakness may be a feature of a more generalized neuromuscular disease. Uh, again, this occurs commonly in Guillain Barre syndrome and a metaphysic variant, uh, and is also a feature of disorders such as myotonic dystrophy, myothenia gravis, uh, botulism, various congenital myopathies, and MND. Now, let's briefly talk about hemifacial spasm, which is a benign, usually painless, but often distressing condition uh, characterized by unilateral, involuntary, irregular tonic-clonic contractions of the muscles supplied uh, by the facial nerve. The prevalence of it is about 15 per 100,000 in women and 7 per 100,000 in men. Uh, the answer is usually in the 5th and 6th decade. In some patients, the involuntary movements start in the orbicularis oculi muscle and gradual progression over months or years to involve other facial muscles on the same side. In others, the problem begins with twitching around the mouth or the cheek. Movements are again irregular in rhythm and degree, but synchronous in all affected muscles. They may be spontaneous or triggered by voluntary facial movement, including chewing and speaking, and they are, you know, made worse by stress or fatigue. Other involuntary facial movement include myokemia of orbicularis uh, oculi, an irritating twitch usually of the lower eyelid, which is a normal phenomenon, but sometimes can be a cause of uh, anxiety. More extensive facial myokemia with persistent worm-like uh, wriggling of the chin and other facial muscle is more sinister. Again, this is typically caused by intrinsic brainstem pathologies such as uh, multiple sclerosis or a pontine glioma in both cases. Uh, again, it's usually progressive. Facial myokemia is also a hallmark of other inherited ataxias, particularly in, you know, seen in SCAR3. Um, ticks and tardive dyskinesia is frequently involved the facial and perioral muscle. Neurocancerocytosis may cause prominent orofacial dystonia. And of course, the blepharospasm, uh, again, is a form of focal dystonia affecting orbicularis oculi. Fasciculation of facial muscles can develop in motor neuron disease. Um, focal motor seizures may affect facial muscles alone in some cases. And epilepsy partialis continua is a cause of persistent clonic tonic facial movement, which can be localized and quite difficult to recognize. Now, this brings us to the end of the podcast for uh, cranial nerve 7 disorders. I hope you found uh, you know this podcast useful. If you like what you hear, please share and subscribe. 
and also leave a comment on my Instagram page on neurology.pa. Um, and uh, I'll see you next week.